Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Mooney Wormtail. Before we begin the Scum of the Earth podcast, I would like to tell you about... Hello, I'm Mooney Kiplingshire Smythe, and I'd like to tell you about Psycho Ape 2. Hello, I'm Mooney Crampwell Barklestitch. If you go over to Indiegogo.com, you'll have the exciting privilege... What country am I supposed to be from? Here, if you go over to Indiegogo.com, you'll be able to donate to Psycho Ape 2. Ah, oh, do men in slough like too much cheese? The sequel to the surprise smash hit. Um, Psycho Ape. Hello, I'm Mooney Nigel Smythe Pitt. You'll feel like you just went on a trip to Picklings for Downs. So go over to Indiegogo.com to donate to the crowdfunding campaign for Psycho Ape 2. Are there great perks? Do the people of Hounslow smell like dirt? I'm from the UK. We now return you to the Scum of the Earth podcast already in progress. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've screened uh, Psycho Ape lots of times. Um, oh, that's great. Just this year alone, I um, I went down to Wisconsin first. I'm friends with a guy, Matt, who works for Severin Films. And so he booked a double feature. Well, first there was a triple feature of, um, this was back in February when mm. Cocaine Bear came out. Mm-hmm. Severin Films owns the movie Wild Beasts. And Wild Beasts is an... 80s Italian exploitation film, real animals attacking like real stuntmen. Because what happens in the movie is PCP leaks into the water supply at this zoo, and so these animals drink the water and become <laughs> drug fueled crazy beasts. Sold, and, I, I haven't yeah. heard of this, but wow, it sounds like it's, it's cocaine bear before cocaine bear, but wow. with no CGI. Because it was made in the mid 80s, you know, so there's no special effects. It's real animals uh, like tigers and elephants and jaguars. Literally, you seen Roar? Like, what's that? You've seen Roar? They are, no, uh, but I know, I know what that is. Dude, yeah. that's fucking wild shit. That is like the most ill advised movie I've ever seen. It's like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's this worth is pretty, your time. This is pretty crazy, too. I mean, it is stuntmen being attacked by real lions and elephants and stuff and yeah, being that's... thrown around. So, sort of capitalize on the release of Cocaine Bear. 
he booked, you know, Wild Beasts, this other movie that they own called uh, Killer Crocodile, and Psycho Wave. So it was a triple bill of animal attack movies, um, you know, while Cocaine Bear was in theaters. And so we went to Wisconsin first, and then we went to Illinois, and we had like a double bill of Wild Beasts and Psycho Wave for that. And so then, you know, I got some money from those screenings and stuff. And I took the money that I made from those screenings and I rented out my own movie theater here in Michigan. And I, I did a double feature of Psycho Ape and Magnum Opus. So it was a double bill of, you know, my movies. And so that that was kind of cool. So just this year alone, uh, Psycho Wave has played three times and Magnum Opus has played about three times because I had a screening at a local bar, which was kind of cool. Unfortunately, they booked us the same night as the Super Bowl. So, oh shit, <laughs> there there wasn't a ton of people there, but um, or like you know, because it was a it was a split where like one side of the bar was for the Super Bowl, and then we had our own like screening room off to the side where they show like crazy B movies every Sunday night. And so, you know, we had like nine people in this tiny little screening room, which was kind of cool. It was the first time the movie had played publicly. And so it was just kind of neat. There's a convention in Ohio called Cinema Wasteland where it's just like, they, you know, they book horror celebrities and stuff to come and get your autographs and your selfies and stuff. Indie filmmakers can sell their movies and stuff like that. And I, I love Cinema Wasteland. It's like my favorite convention. Psychoway will be playing in Chicago later this month. It is a crowd pleaser. I have seen it with like a packed room of people and stuff like that. Psychoway. Um, I'm hoping that Magnum Opus picks up a little bit more steam eventually it's just such a niche project that it has to sort of find its audience, I guess, somehow. You know, I don't know how, but I'm trying. It's better if you just do it yourself. I know a lot of people are also kind of, I don't know if it's like shyness or not believing in their movie or just not really sure how to navigate, you know, social media or conventions. So I've been doing this for uh, since like 2016, 2017. So I'm still relatively new, but um, I just, sort of taught myself how to be like a self-promoter by going to these conventions and just doing it and just, you know, jumping in and like just promoting the shit out of your stuff. Meet other filmmakers and talk to them and figure out how they do it and see if that sort of system works for you. Because everybody's different with their own sort of way of how they sell stuff. And everybody makes different kinds of movies and everybody makes movies in different ways. You know, like, Psycho Wave is kind of a weird anomaly where we just were fucking around, you know, like, it's it's just a fucking around movie. It doesn't have a clear, like, beginning, middle, end, like, a three-act structure. It's not designed that way, though. It's just basically just to just make people laugh. It's, I don't know if people really could recreate that themselves or, like, figure out, like, trying to do that is tough, you know, like, it's because there, we didn't really have a script. We had a bunch of bullet points. We filmed a bunch of kill scenes. We filmed a bunch of random parody scenes, and then in editing was where we sort of created the story. And it's just that's not a traditional way to make a movie, you know what I mean? Um, it works. I mean, it, it, it does have a through line, it, as bizarre and as circuitous as it gets. There is a through line through it all. Right, and that only came through editing the movie and figuring out, like, what else do we need to sort of patch in some kind of through line story so that's not the way to make like a movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've talked to other like indie filmmakers and they're just like, you know, I could not make a movie that way. Like I could not make a movie like Psycho Wit because I need to like film it in order or I need to know like what the story is or I need to know how to like execute this movie beginning, middle, end. I couldn't do it that way because it just seems like you 
like we're just making shit up and it's like well that is what we were doing like there is we a fun freedom to that up. though because that, oh, that yeah. is like you know part of the process is structure 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 you're trying to figure out that that's structure. what they teach you in film school of course right. i went to film school and it was very boring to me <laughs> they were teaching us how to make like traditional movies and like i'm not a fan of like traditional i mean i, I do love like tr- movies but, um, you know, like Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. And, but like for horror directors, I love like George Romero and stuff. But like, yeah, they never made like weird shit. You know, I like weird shit. You know, Trump- I'm having on uh, next week, uh, J.R. Bookwalter. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I've met him at Cinema Wasteland before. He's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Because I'm like, yeah, the next, like that stuff. That stuff for me, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I love like traditional made films. But the thing that excites me. Or like the SOV stuff, or like that 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 weird spirit of invention that those films have. That's right. just like well, you know what, and it's and you can see it comes across. There's something endearing about that. That I think like when you have something more polished, especially with horror. Horror is weird. The more polished horror gets, the more distancing I, I get from it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I tend to feel the same way. Like, I mean, I do watch like modern horror films and stuff like that. And actually, this year I think has been pretty good. Actually, yeah, mainstream horror. Like, I mean, Renfield was cool. Evil Dead Rise was cool. Gorgeous um, Evil Dead Rise. You know, like it's been a good year for mainstream horror. For, like for the first time in a while, we've been getting some you know pretty good ones. Well, Terrifier Two is this amazing success story from uh, that's yeah. last year though. But it was well, just like I mean, it's still fresh. Yeah, know? it's still fresh. That was uh, I had the one of the producers on from that, and it's just the same thing. It's just like they kind of just it was like how's how'd you shoot? Like, it was kind of catch as catch can. Like this week we'll shoot mm-hmm. this. We this week we do that and like and look the results speak for themselves like those guys didn't shoot in a traditional way and I mean I the mean, director they, they didn't even have an enormous budget either no I mean, I, it's amazing yeah I don't like know how they did it for that money thousand bucks like I'm just know. saying it I, somebody's lying because there's no way I I've seen like unless they, I mean they must have cut some really good corners and they must have been very efficient because that's yeah. tight two fifty when you're doing things that way right. to have it look like that. Well, to have it look like that and to have the kind of sets that they had access to. Right. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like, yeah, there's a lot of art. I mean, I mean, I mean, of course, the director's doing all the practical effects himself. So I guess that's saving you some money. But still, like, you know, shooting those moments, especially yeah. the bedroom scene, that's expensive, like just in terms of time. Oh, and yeah. how they managed it. I don't know how they did it. Even <laughs> in the traditional sense, like even for a low budget movie, like $250,000, that's not that much money. If you're maybe. doing it quote unquote the right way. And then it ended up making what, like 11, 12 million, maybe more. And theatrically now, like, you know, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, a, when, it's when a watershed really moment. aren't going to the movies as much as they used to. Yeah. It's just, brought to you by bloody disgusting i didn't have it, to it, it works in waves you know what i mean like some movies people will flock to it but then some movies they won't like terrifier 2 made a, a ton of money but then like renfield bombed and it's like what the hell that sucks yeah what happened there it, it seemed like a slam dunk on paper i thought just... so too i was there opening day and I, it was like where is everybody <laughs> oh that sucks so what what is your dream project if you have one like what if you had like unax like unlimited access to cash what would you do like is that like you have like one of those dream films um geez i mean i think it'd be fun definitely to do some kind of like 3d slasher film or something like that wow when i was in uh film school i wrote a screenplay like you had to take certain classes when you're in film school there was like a directing course a writing course and a production course. 
I took a writing course. I didn't finish the screenplay, but I wrote like a good 30 pages of it where it was like a 3D slasher film. Uh, it was like the part three in a trilogy that like doesn't exist. So it's kind of like, because I got the idea from seeing a Saw sequel in theaters. It might've been like Saw 5 or something. And I remember waiting in line and I heard like this girl talking behind me. She was like, I've never even seen the first four. And I'm thinking like, well, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> So I'm kind of like, that was a funny concept to me of like showing up to a movie where you haven't seen the previous films, imagining how lost you would be. But so I thought, well, why not just make a third movie in 3D and it's like the third movie in a trilogy that doesn't exist. So there's callbacks to like two and one and but there is no two or one. So that's a good idea. I actually like that where you're just making you're, you're referencing yeah. context that doesn't exist. So the audience is like, shit, I have to go stream two or one. Like, why doesn't Netflix or Amazon Prime or Tubi? I can't find two or one. Like, where is it? Um, because it, it doesn't exist. So I just thought that would be kind of a funny slasher movie where, like, imagining, like, imagine watching Friday the 13th Part 3. You would have no context to, like, Jason's mother or the events that happened in the previous movie. Have, like, flashback moments or something where... You know, there's flashbacks to, you know, the previous film, but like that movie doesn't exist. And then if that movie is successful, then go backwards and like make part two. So like you make part three first and then you make part two. Like I thought, I just think that that would be kind of funny. It might go over people's heads. Like they might not understand it. Um, Fuck them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so I just, you know, I wrote this thing. My teacher loved it. Like, um, he told me like, you should finish this, like make, you know, finish this script. That's always one that I have sort of like in the back of my mind, because that would be expensive to one, make a 3d movie, really flesh out that concept of like building, like making a, a third movie. But then you also have to sort of, well, then what were the, pre- what, what were the previous two movies? So you kind of have to figure out without actually making those movies, what could lead to this? Cause Imagine like watching the third movie in any trilogy and it's always like the end of the franchise. So something has to culminate to like the big finale, right. but you don't have any context for the previous two films. So you're just making a movie, but it's also like, it has to be the ultimate movie of a trilogy that's not real. So that I think that would be an interesting writing exercise, just sort of like throw all the bells and whistles into just this one movie um but it's supposed to again be this ultimate like arc you know and uh that would be kind of crazy it would just it, it would take a lot of work but i just remember my, my my screenwriting teacher did like it and i felt pretty good about that you know that's what i love about big trouble in little china is that there's like there's a we're at the tail end of like a thousands year long story and everybody's invested in it except uh-huh. kurt russell Right. I yeah, love that yeah, everybody yeah. understands what's happening and Kurt Russell is completely lost. And that's like the funniest aspect of that film is like, and it's, yeah, taking, he's a it's fish out of water and he's trying to do his best, but he's just kind of buffooning around. Yeah. It's amazing. I love that. It's my favorite. Yeah. I think that might be my favorite overall Carpenter film. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, just cause oh, that's that. actually, I take that back. That's a fucking, that's a hefty statement. Now I just realized I just looked up at my box of uh, my VHS box of uh, they live. And I'm like, Oh shit. That's some step competition. Yeah. That's a tough one. That's a tough call. What are some of your favorite horror filmmakers like growing up? Um, well, I mean, I love George Romero, you know, um, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. Those movies are big, like 
influences on me, especially Dawn of the Dead. I love Dawn. That's like that's a movie that I saw. That's one of those I saw that way too young because my bro- older brother was watching with his friends, and he kept calling me into the room to fuck with me. He was just like, "Here, watch this. Watch this. It's cute." Because there's a there's that weird chunk of the movie when the biker gang comes in, Savini's biker gang comes in, and yeah. it's very funny. It's a very oh, yeah. funny sequence. So, and he kept calling me into the room for that. Then it would turn horrific again, and I'd run out screaming. It's like, look, Frank, it's funny again. Look, come here. And he just kept, and like an idiot, I kept running back and forth. Like, ha, ha, ha. I was like five. But yeah, those movies, I that's one of my comfort movies, Dawn of the Dead. Like, I could oh, yeah. put it on. Yeah, like, yeah it's so it's uh Has it ever been released on Blu-ray again, or is that, like, never going to happen? Or has it been? Uh, well, it did get released two years ago by, like, a U.K. company called Psych- Yeah, it's European. I, yeah, well, it's region-free, though. That's the mm. thing, is if you buy... Uh, like the 4k of it it is region free so i use a ps5 and i can just watch it as for a american release no there isn't one it's because the producer of it he's so like like money hungry and he keeps the rights like really close to his chest because after romero passed away the rights you know reverted back to him this particular producer is just i think shout factory or screen factory reached out to him once and this is just hearsay you know this is just like convention talk when you're talking to other people, and <laughs> they, they they have like they think they have the inside information. I remember someone said that like, oh, he wants like two million dollars for the licensing rights. Like, Shot Factory passed. You know what I mean? Because that's just too much money. Yeah. So until he probably passes away, I don't think we're gonna get an American release. And then who knows what kind of like contracts he may have in place? You know, so that it might even be difficult once he passes away you just i don't know i have no idea i mean that's like shooting yourself in the foot though because oh, it's stupid. the longer it's you dumb. hold it back from people the less awareness people have of it like you have to put it yeah. out every few years well, so it's like what are you waiting for man that, that guy's gotta be in his 70s yeah do you what do you what are you holding out for? yeah come on let it go you dude. know you want to get paid the two million dollars then die next year like come on find something reasonable figure it out it could also just be like he's just doing something like he's just do, doing it out of pettiness, maybe. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense. It's like, OK, at least you're just petty. I, I think maybe what probably happened was that over the years, his and Romero's like business partnership. Who was you know, it? Who was it? Uh, Rubenstein? Rubenstein, yeah. It is Rubenstein? Oh. Yeah. The two of them, I think, parted ways and uh, it didn't like their partnership did not end well. So now I, 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 my, you know, this is my theory is that out of pettiness, he's holding the film back because mm. uh, Romero moved out of Pittsburgh to like make movies in Canada and stuff for like the last you know leg of his career. If Rubenstein was not involved in like any of those films because Rubenstein stayed in Pittsburgh and wanted to continue make movies in Pittsburgh. So I think like that just it, it, it broke their friendship. It broke their partnership. Oh, that's a shame. So in in my theory is like well out of pettiness now that he's got the rights back to Dawn he's just like sitting on it and it's just I'm not doing anything with this movie unless you pay me two million bucks you know yeah so like an outrageous nobody's gonna pay that number just say okay like, yeah, yeah just to bury the film because he knows that people love it. And, you know, there's every year a reunion at the Monroeville Mall in Pittsburgh. And I don't think he's ever been invited, you know, well, I don't know if it's that he's never been invited, but he's never been there. You know, I've never seen him in the lineup. I've gone a couple of times, but I've never met the guy. And I think it's just because he's not welcome or doesn't want to go. You know, that's a shame. You know, I, I I don't I don't know what the. I don't know what the true story is. I really don't. Yeah, that's. A, I, I'm gonna go with that. 
sight unseen, I believe that story. Uh, I, you know, when you you can you can piece enough information together and see the bigger picture. Uh, other filmmakers? Oh, um, I mean, I love John Carpenter, obviously, and uh, Rob Zombie is a big influence on me. I love House, <clears throat> House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects is so amazing. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite. Like, you're from Raimi country, no Sam Raimi? Oh yeah, Sam Raimi. I love Sam Raimi. I actually, um, I I used to work at Walgreens. And I rang up his brother once. Um, Ted? Ted? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he came into my Walgreens. He bought like a pack of nicotine gum or something. You know what I mean? Like he was trying to quit smoking. I instantly recognized him. And I was like, hey, man, you're Ted Raimi, aren't you? And uh, that was pretty cool because normally when I meet celebrities and stuff, it's at conventions, you know? Right. This was In the, the wild, time. it's very odd. This was yeah. The, yeah, this was just like he happened to walk into my Walgreens and I, I got to ring him up. Sam Raimi, huge, huge influence. Love all the Evil Deads and just his, his entire filmography is just great. I mean, Evil Dead too. I, I I've talked about this a bunch of times on this show. It's like when you're I saw that when I was thirteen, and when you're thirteen, you have no power against that movie. That movie just takes you over. Like that is like if you're a thirteen year old boy, that is like the perfect movie. That's the be- like in your mind. That's the this is the best movie ever made. It's the best movie ever made. It's just like I actually can't- after Evil Dead Rise came out, just a couple of days later, I watched my 4K of Evil Dead Two, and I hadn't seen that movie in a while. And I was like, man, every single like <clears throat> shot in this movie is like a magic trick like every Everything. every single shot is just there's something unique happening in the movie and i, I don't know how to make a movie like that no. i would love to know i would just love to know like how the sound design of that movie. Like, people always talk about the visuals obviously because it's, <laughs> it's such a visual like candy that movie but like the sound design is also bizarre like yeah. the chicken noises like when uh, I think it's when they're jumping on Henrietta, they're jumping on Henrietta's head. It's just like weird chicken noises. Like, why would you pick that? Yeah. That's yeah. genius, but it's insane too. Like only a crazy person. Like that's the thing I always like. That's why when films are polished and, and nothing against Evil Dead Rise, which is good. It's just like, it feels like there's nothing better when you're watching a horror film and you realize, or you're thinking, I think crazy people made this. And that makes you feel unsafe when yeah. you're watching those movies. And I think that when you, when something's polished up, you see that doesn't feel if rational people made this. They made rational well, it's choices. Also, you know, you know, that rise is a studio produced film warner brothers you know they're not gonna let the filmmaker make something too weird with evil dead 2 that was more of an independent production so sam raimi could just kind of do whatever the hell he wanted you're not gonna get another henrietta type character running around the director's brother in you know a fat suit like we're we're not gonna get that again you know not not in a hollywood film it's a shame i always get like sad it's just like Uh, oh those days i know i mean it's it's just you know those kinds of movies just don't get produced that way even like modern Sam Raimi movies aren't, they're way more polished than, you know, the old days. And I always kind of wonder like Sam Raimi feels that because Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, like aren't that polished, that they're not, that they're not good movies. I wonder, it's or, like, it's like, I like my thing is with Peter Jackson, his pre oh, yeah, Lord of the Rings output yeah. is, is my favorite. Like nothing's happened those for me. I, yeah, I love Lord of the Rings. I mean, they're lovely films, but it's just like, mm. But it's just like the the, yeah. the weird create to that weird feeling. That's like I think bad taste is the best first feature like I've ever seen. It's just like I can't believe this dude made this in his backyard. Like there's just this weird spirit of invention in that film that there's, you just don't there's see. Something that happens to certain filmmakers where I think they get to a certain point, they get so much money. Like I don't know, maybe they kind of forget. Well, your movies almost kind of benefit from not having that much money. It's like Tim Burton's kind of the same way Mm -hmm. where it's like his first decade of films are like the best era. And then the last 20 years is just like CGI fests. And it's like, if 
he had the technology at his disposal that he has now. Like, would Beetlejuice have been the same? We're going to find out what Beetlejuice do. But it's like, I don't know, man, with the stop motion and stuff and Beetlejuice, that's what makes that movie special. It's the stop motion. It's the weird green screen it's the weird stuff it's the it's the, but it's like that's what he had access to at the time now it's going to be a cgi fest and i'm kind of scared yeah i i don't and i don't trust i hate to say it, i don't trust him anymore i don't think he has those instincts anymore i think no, a lot of it especially with Raimi, is that you're kind of i i remember when he made that film uh a perfect uh simple plan uh-huh and whatever i'm not the biggest fan of that movie but it's just like i understand people did but it was just like people like it's like finally he's a real filmmaker like that was like the critics consensus like it's like no he was a real maker before and it's like there's this weird pressure where they just when you're that bizarre when you have that weird person eccentricities like the general critic community at least at the time would be like yeah this is not wait i wonder what he'll do when he makes a real film and like that was a consensus like those were those were the real films like there it's like you know yeah it's it's unfair it's just because that's just how people see like independent horror movies mm. or like these sort of backyard do-it-yourself movies and it's like i i don't really aspire to be some sort of uh multi-million dollar budget filmmaker i don't really want to do that i want to just keep making cheesy b stuff um, it'd be nice to not have to fund everything myself or to, like, <laughs> struggle to get my budgets. There's the trick. That's, that's, that's everybody yeah. in the same boat. It's like, hey, it's, if I just didn't I have to go it. broke doing it. Yeah, I don't want to go broke doing it. I don't want to struggle doing it. Like, that's the thing. But I also, I wouldn't want to make Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man is something like, let, let the big guys do that. You know, like Sam Raimi can do that. He can make Spider-Man. Or like, you know, everyone always uses like, oh, so you're Steven Spielberg now. And it's like, no, 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 no. He made, you know, Jaws and Jurassic Park. And that's just, that's, you know, Raiders of Lost Ark. Those are classic big budget movies. I'm not really interested in that either. I just kind of want to make a bunch of Evil Dead style movies, like do DIY, crazy gore, unrated, just crazy stuff, you know, under the radar. I don't need like a super slick production. Not that I'm ever going to get that, but um, it's just, I like what I do and I like doing what I do. I just don't like um, the struggle of, um, it's, it's the hustle of it all. And it kind of wears me thin sometimes, you know, because I have a day job too. It's I'd like to get to a point someday eventually where I don't have to do the day job and the movie thing could just be my job. Self-sustaining, my, yeah. Self-sustaining. That's the dream. That, it's just like it's dream. Yeah, that's the dream for everybody, myself included. It's just right. like, look, I don't want to be rich. I just don't want to be poor anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's my thing is I I never thought that I could ever be rich from doing this. And I'm not, you know, conceited in any way. I don't think if we make like four psychowapes, then I'm just gonna wake up rich one day. If I make four psychowapes, will that be enough to, you know, sustain itself? Can this franchise sustain itself, you know? If I make enough movies and have them on like streaming platforms and like sell physical media, can I quit doing the Uber Eats thing? Because I don't want to do that forever. Yeah, same. Eh, I got nothing to add to that. It's just like, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, that's where I kind of my headspace is. It's like, look, I just don't want to be poor doing this. And I like editing. What's your favorite part of the process? Um, I don't know. I mean, I do enjoy editing. Like, I do. I, you know, I edited Magnum Opus. Um, my buddy Greg edited Psycho Ape, though. And I did, I have edited like all of my riffing stuff myself. So I do enjoy it. I kind of like writing a lot, too. It's, it's it's the actual production that's kind of a pain in the ass. I hate production. That's my least favorite part of the I think whole everybody thing. is sort of the same. 
Yeah. Oh, well, maybe not necessarily. I don't know. It's. I I don't know. I don't know how you have fun doing it. I'm just nerves the whole time. I'm yeah, I'm ner- ner- I get nervous too, and I also when when like effects aren't working the way that you want them to, that can be kind of miserable. Where you're just you, you visualize like a, a certain blood spurt in your head, and like it doesn't <laughs> go that way. Um, that kind of sucks. Or if people don't show up on time, and you have to sort of work around that, that kind of sucks too. But uh, I don't know. I really like. I guess the writing and the editing and then the middle part, I don't like, I don't like that much, um, you know, but that's, yeah, that's not, cause for I me, think like, a lot of people are like that though. Uh, I don't think that I'm alone where it's creating it and writing it in your head. That part's great. Executing it kind of sucks because then, you're not getting it exactly as you saw it in your head, but that's yeah. the great part about editing is that you could shift things yeah a little bit closer yeah. to what you wanted and find sort solutions of, to things that happened like yeah. you, all editing is for me it's like right is you feel like creating where it's just like you're just trying to get through it production it's just like, i just need to get these amount of pieces i look at it just like in terms yeah. of pieces just like it's, i need this chunks. piece. yeah i just need a chunk of this a chunk of that uh, so then, yeah. yeah that that to me is sort of it can be grueling once i'm editing and once i have all of the footage and everything that i need then it's just like now the work is basically over because I can just edit and I can just form something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that middle hurdle of actually shooting that. Yeah, it yeah, it, can, it can suck because I mean we worked on Psychoway for like a year and a half because of COVID. You oh know? shit! Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, another it, COVID story. Like every interview I've had with filmmakers. Yeah. It's just a nightmare story after nightmare story because of COVID yeah, just shut really, everybody down. Um, it took like six months extra to finish the movie because we were all in quarantine. So we had to sort of secretly get together to film these little pieces that we needed. And at the end of the movie, there's that part where the psycho ape is in jail, you know? And like I played a security guard, like I had super long hair at the time. I shit in the psycho ape's bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, we only filmed that because we couldn't ask anybody else to come over, you know, like it was me, Greg, and then my roommate who plays the ape. So we just sort of had to film that scene with three of us. Cause I, I initially was not going to have a cameo in the movie at all, but sort of out of necessity, we were like, well, we can't ask any more actors to sort of like come over to the apartment to film this movie. Cause we're all supposed to be in quarantine. So it was like, all right, Greg, you sneak over, bring your equipment. We'll film in my basement. And so we sort of filmed that stuff in like the heart of COVID when people were supposed to be sheltering in place and stuff and just or other pickup shots, you know, um, close-ups of things that we didn't have, you know, emphasize certain kills or emphasize certain other things to just, you know, build up a scene cutaways. And so that's, what, that's how we spent COVID was getting those final cutaway shots. Mm. Otherwise we would have been done with the movie like, six months earlier i think uh, something like that you know for a couple of years i was i was working with trauma and i did oh yeah i didn't even get into that yeah I, I well i did a movie ripping show it wasn't just movies to watch in a rainy afternoon i did a show called Master piece theater yeah, yeah. Masterpiece theater. and that was taking like actual feature length uh trauma movies and laying down like silhouettes like mystery science theater and so my buddy built two puppets i had a talking box of popcorn and a talking film reel and I played a movie theater usher. And so we rented out a movie theater and we filmed some stuff there, some bits. But then we did all the green screen just in my apartment and stuck us in there with movie theater seats and you see our silhouettes. And we did two episodes of that. The Battle of Love's Return, which was Lloyd Kaufman's it's very first, first film. movie. Yeah, first movie. And then we did Poultry Geist. <laughs> but uh, then like 
for licensing reasons, we couldn't do anymore. Lloyd wouldn't green light a third episode. So I'm working on a reboot of that right now as well. Oh, awesome. So I'm calling it Roast Masterpiece Theater. We don't have to just be tethered to one company. And we're, we've, we just finished our first pass of a movie. Because now I'm doing indie movies just for like any filmmaker who wants to submit their film. Um, so I'm going to be focusing more on like my, my friends' indie stuff who don't mind getting riffed on. You know what I mean? Like they're in on the joke. They know we're going to write jokes about their movies. Not cruel jokes, but just, you know, we're going to be roasting your movie, but like with love. Oh, do so, my movie. My fuck it. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. I'll send you my movie. It's okay. A, yeah. Yeah, we did. We're doing a, a movie right now. We just finished. Because what we were doing was for the last like month, we get together every Wednesday and we watch a 20 minute chunk of the movie, the first 20 minutes and then like the next 20 and then the next 20. And it takes like two hours, two and a half hours because oh, yeah. I, I pause the movie every like 10 to 15 seconds. And it's like, okay, do we have a joke? for where i just paused like can we stick something in there does anybody have anything no all right moving on those so writing kinda, sessions for mystery science theater i love to have i wish i did is yeah. there any behind the scenes of that because i'd love to see like not those a lot i've seen a, like clips here and there like a, clips. I, yeah they, I, I don't think they ever documented their entire process um but from those clips that's kind of how i figured out how they did it yeah. so that's how we do it and so it's, it's like watching a movie in slow motion where, I mean, it, it seriously is like every 15 seconds I pause and it's like, okay, what just happened in that 15 seconds? Is there anything that we can make a reference to? Any kind of joke? Can we do, a, can we have, do we have a line in it to like, you know, rebut um, what that character just said? And so it just becomes a long process. Yeah. But we're, we just did the first pass. So we have like 16 pages of jokes. Um, and I think that's pretty good. It's a good start. And then we can go through now and look at the time codes where there's like longer gaps of like a minute or more where we just didn't have anything for that minute. So now we can just kind of go into those empty spaces and fill in. So we don't have to watch the movie 10 times. Right. That's how we used to do for masterpiece theater was we would <clears throat> sit there and we would watch a movie like 10 times. And it was grueling, especially when it's like battle of love's return, because that movie's really bad. It's, um, tough. it's a tough it's sit. Tough. Yeah. That's a tough one. Poultry guys, not so much, but we kind of realized we're just making the same like, you know, cock puns and stuff like that. So I think we're good. Like we don't need to watch. <laughs> like I've seen Poultry Guys more times than I ever cared to. It's fun. That's adorable. I'm over it though. Like I'm totally right. over it. But so with this movie, I'm not quite sick of it yet because technically we've only watched it like twice. Once all the way through without really pausing it and just sort of like hemming and hawing and like throwing jokes out there. And then we watched it a second time where it was like pausing it every 15 seconds. So now that we have like 16 pages, it's like, oh man, you know, that's pretty, pretty good. Now we just go in and do Pat's jobs. And mm. so the, 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 the work will be over soon. And then again, we can just film the green screen stuff in my apartment with, a, with the puppets. And then we just go to a movie theater and we film whatever host segments that we write. And boom, we have an episode, you know, like it's not going to cost any money because the theater that I have access to does not charge me because I'm friends with the owner. That's and great. so it's basically like a free production where I will pay the director, like, you know, licensing stuff. Like once we start selling Blu-rays and stuff, I'll give her a cut of, you know, the sales and everything, but it's not like before where like there, we, we had a discrepancy over like payment and stuff with like Lloyd and everything. And it, it, it just, it, it got ugly. Wait, you know, you had trouble getting money out of Lloyd Kaufman. 
No, I've I never had, heard of it. I've never no, heard no, of it. No, no, it was, it was, uh, it was more. Lloyd had trouble getting money out of me. Oh, because, okay. <laughs> well, you, know, you know, it was, it was sort I of turn like, about his fair play. <laughs> yeah, but it was just because, like, up front, we just didn't know that Tremasterpiece Theater would like be anything. Like, and I started selling DVDs like crazy. I wasn't contracted to pay him any sort of like residuals. So that just didn't happen. And eventually he kind of just pulled the plug and was like, that's enough of that. You're making too much money off of Troma's name. You're done. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, all right. But hey, man, you wrote the contract, not me. <laughs> right. Um, it's, uh, man, your lawyers, not me. Yeah. But, you know, so that was that. Was that and we, we ended the whole thing. But now, I'm, you know, I'm doing the reboot. I'm doing the reboot and I'm going to be more upfront and transparent with the people whose movies I license. And it's also friends. It's friends of mine who know very much so what I do and what kind of jokes I write. And then I'm not like scathing. I'm not going to just tear apart your movie. It's more like clever comedy the way that Mystery Science Theater is. Is we're being sort of cheeky and fun and we're not going to just call your movie a piece of garbage. You know, like that's cruel. And, you know, these are these are peers and friends of mine, people who I go to conventions with and see and, you know, we get dinner or drinks after the show. And so it's like these are all people who are in on the joke. From, or if, if Roast Masterpiece sells a lot of copies – that's good trickle down for them too, because then people yeah. who buy my movie or my episode might go and buy the unriffed copy from them because it's just like, well, their booth is just right over there. You know, like <laughs> you can get the rift version from me, but the director's here. They're just right over there. Go get the unriffed copy, you know? So it's, it's more of a, I want to work with these people instead of just with trauma. I was so naive. I had never really done anything like that before. I didn't really understand like licensing. I didn't really understand any of it. And so it was a learning experience and I've, I've learned my lesson and I'm I'm sorry, Lloyd. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm doing, I'm doing it differently now, but so that's a project that I'm working on and then Frankenstein and then psycho whip too. So this is going to be a big, big year of projects, you know, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, everything goes smoothly because like I said, it's been kind of a bumpy road. A phoenix rising out of the ashes. Yeah, like, man. here we go. <laughs>